Welcome back to Pandemic Pass, a side pod run by me, your host, Casey Siddons. This pod is all about the ramifications of COVID on our education system and how we emerge stronger. Uh, although we are, I'm still operating under Ed's Not Dead, and don't worry, Ed's Not Dead will be back. Uh, this particular episode is called The Way Out. Uh, sounds a lot more uh, Hollywood, perhaps, than what it ultimately is. Um, so the, the whole point of this particular episode is, how do we get out of this mess? We've been struggling, I think, as an education system to really wrap our heads around, A, how to teach in this environment, how, how kids are learning in this environment. And then we haven't really spent a lot of time thinking critically about how we not only return, but what do we do once we're back face-to-face with kids to repair the damage? Well, with this episode, I'm, I'm, I brought in three folks who I think will help really help us figure it out. In part one, uh, this very episode that you're listening to, I'm bringing back the interview we did on Ed's Not Dead a few weeks ago with Congressman Bobby Scott, chair of the Education and Labor Committee in the House of Representatives. I thought it was appropriate to bring him back because this is a three-part episode and we're starting from the 30,000-foot view, then we are moving to more of a local state view, and then we're going to go to part three and talk about it from really on the ground, uh, in the trenches, for lack of a better term, perspective and lens for, you know, how do we how do we get out and then how do we build back stronger our public system, our public education system. Um, so then, as we as I said, we move to part two, where I speak with one of my own state delegates, uh, Janelle Wilkins, who is going to speak, as I said, to the on-the-ground view of how we recover. And then finally, I speak with Dr. Josh Starr, who is the CEO of PDK International, and he's a former school superintendent, where I think he gives a, a unique perspective in how he sees our schools returning and and his opinions and thoughts about how system leaders what they should be doing to improve our recovery so for for this episode uh this part first part throughout this pandemic and really up until the inauguration of president biden uh, it's it's my belief that there's been a complete lack of leadership from the federal government and and I'm, i don't think i'm alone in this not only from partisans but also from uh neutral media outlets uh from the federal government, really an incompetent response at best, a treasonous lack of uh, efficacy that has led to the deaths of, at this point, half a million of our fellow citizens at worst. Um, to swerve into politics a bit, I I don't want to do this really, but kind of I do. Um, there's no doubt that if Hillary Clinton, as much as people despise her for you know a number of reasons, and, and many of which I disagree with, um, there's no doubt that if Hillary Clinton and, and dare I say, even a centrist traditional Republican, if there are any of those anymore, were at the helm, we wouldn't be facing this many deaths. Um, with a 50-state strategy of a vaccine rollout to boot, and uh, folks that need the vaccine aren't able to, able to get it, depending on your state and community, um, this pandemic certainly would be a challenge for any president of any party. But you elect a clown, expect the circus, and here we are. Um, so, end politic, uh, political rant for now. Uh, thankfully, we're on the mend um, with competent folks in the executive branch. And uh, as I said in this episode of Pandemic Pass, um, uh, the first part, I'm joined by my Ed's Not Dead colleagues, Peter and 
uh, Robbie, so you get a little taste of them again, and then uh, you're going to have part two and three um, to, to look forward to as well. So uh, enjoy this, this first part. Um, again, I'm talking to Congressman, or we're talking to Congressman Bobby Scott, who is the chairperson of the Education and Labor Committee in Congress. And he's really the person you want to speak to if you want to figure out how our country can best move forward policy and legislation-wise. He certainly did not disappoint. Um, This is Pandemic Pass, Episode 4, The Way Out, Part 1. We'll see you on the flip side. Fellas, we are incredibly excited to welcome Congressman Robert C. Bobby Scott to Ed's Not Dead. Congressman Scott has represented Virginia's 3rd Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives since 1993. Prior to his service in Congress, he served 15 years in the Virginia General Assembly. Congressman Scott currently serves as the Chairman of the Committee on Education and Labor. In this position, he's advancing an agenda that improves equity in education, frees students from the burdens of crippling debt, protects and expands access to affordable health care, ensures workers have a safe workplace, where they can earn a living wage free from discrimination and guarantee seniors have a secure and dignified retirement. Welcome to Ed's Not Dead, Chairman Scott. Uh, we are indeed um, excited and honored to have you on the show. So let's jump right into our interview. Uh, I know that you've had a lot going on in the last 24 hours, and we're going to get to talk about that. But where are we um, as a public education system today nationally amidst the current public health emergency or crisis that we're in? Well, the problem we have now is that the, uh, we've heard a lot about how the pandemic has exacerbated pre-existing health conditions. Those with the pre-existing health conditions have been uh, more adversely affected by the pandemic than, than others. We're also finding out that those who are been uh, at the bottom of the achievement gap, they have been more adversely affected than others. Um, with distance learning, if you're at the bottom of the achievement gap, you're probably less likely to even have a computer, less likely to have connectivity or have poor connectivity at home. Uh, so all of the problems in education have been exacerbated by the, um, uh, by, by the pandemic and just made matters worse. And so we have a, a lot of catching up to do. Every, uh, this group would be uh, familiar with the summer slide where low-income students leave in June, come back two, two months worse in, by September. They're two months worse off than they left. <clears throat> well, we've been sliding for about eight, eight to 10 months. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the, we have a lot of catching up to do. And so the pandemic has just made those matters worse. The um, other students, uh, some students have done okay with uh, distance learning. Uh, they've been able to uh, uh, to keep up, <clears throat> but those at the bottom of the achievement gap have just, um, it's just been horrible. And special education uh, students, it's just been a disaster. We have a lot of catching up to do there. So let me ask the question on everyone's mind is, you know, what ha- What needs to happen in order for schools to open nationwide? What sort of steps would you like to see happen to ensure that we can guarantee um, the safety to get kids back in school, which is so important, as you mentioned? Well, first of all, I think everybody who's looked at it recognizes that students do much better when they're in school, in-person uh, uh, instruction. Sure. Um, much better than the distance learning. They They do better academically. 
they, it's better for them from a nutrition point of view because they get the school meal. They learn the social skills by interacting with people that you can't learn sitting at home. Um, child abuse can be detected uh, mm -hmm. if the students are actually there in person. And let's get serious. You're not going to reopen the economy without reopening the schools. Yeah, right. so a compelling reason to reopen the schools if it can be done safely. And you cannot reopen the school safely without spending some money. Now, first, you want to spread the students out a little bit. So you need a smaller class size. That costs money. Yep. Getting the students to school. You can't have as many students loaded up on the bus as, as, as you have. That means more trips, which means more money. <clears throat> Disinfectant and PPE you got to pay for. That costs more money. And ventilation, which is a huge problem with the uh, schools, with the ages of the schools, and uh, the fact that a lot of uh, schools have um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning problems pre-existing, yep. um, we need to make sure they have proper ventilation. If you're in a school most of, you know, without proper ventilation, if one student is infected, by the end of the day, they've all got it. If you've got proper ventilation, you have a chance of, um, of surviving. And so proper ventilation and, and fixing the HVAC systems and all of these schools is expensive because a lot of them have problems. So we need the resources, and that's why it's so important that um, in the COVID relief bills, we have money for education. One of the disappointments in the last um, uh, relief bill that, uh, that uh, we've just uh, completed work on is the fact that they don't have any money for state and local government. Right. With the reduction in revenue, the only way they can, uh, state and local government can um, balance their budgets, which they have to, is either <clears throat> fire people or cancel contracts and let the contractor fire people. I mean, and when, you get, <clears throat> when you get to education, which is a huge portion of local and state government, um, they have to lay off, lay off um, uh, education officials, about 700 and some thousand. Education officials across the state, across the country, uh, have been laid off already. Yeah, th those are people who will not be there for uh, for instructional purposes. So the fact that we didn't do uh, state and local is a real disappointment. It means that the money we have in there for education uh, will, instead of uh, helping the situation, will just go to uh, offset um, offset some of the some some of the cuts. And but so. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but the, in the, that $82 billion in funding for education that's about to go through, what, what, are, you, what are some more highlights of that money that, that, are, that will be used? Well, um, a substantial portion of that would be K through 12, about $58 billion, And it's um, distributed to a, to, to a large extent on, based on the um, um, Title I formula, so land okay. where it's actually needed. Sure. A incredibly uh, significant portion will go to private schools. Um, and not to uh, public schools where it's most needed. Right. Um, but, um, you know, if you want the bill passed, the, you, some things you just have to put up with. But um, it's, it's, it's there in the school systems. We use the money um, to um, make up for the deficits. There's a lot of catching up that needs to be done. I'd like uh, for additional funding to take place uh, to make sure that uh, school systems can cancel summer, the summer vacation. Yeah, right. we can't. I mean, we can't afford to take two more months off, inflict another uh, uh, summer slide where, where the students uh, start regressing all over again. 
uh, we need to use that time to catch up. And it's uh, you can't cancel a summer vacation for free. Uh, that, that's going to cost money. And I'd like to see the federal government uh, step up and make sure that, that that's happening. There are a lot of, there's a lot of catching up to do uh, for um, those at the bottom of achievement gaps and for special education students. So there's a, there's a lot of work that has to be done, and, and that's not free. Federal government has to step up because the um, uh, state and local governments across the country are very well, very much stressed already. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit, um, Chairman Scott. Uh, we have a segment that's immensely popular on Ed's Not Dead. It's called Dear Betsy. Um, we're incredibly <laughs> excited that we're no longer doing that episode and for obvious reasons, that, yeah. that segment of our show. So we want to look beyond the, the pandemic for a minute. Well, um, let, me, let, me just, let, me say, let me say one thing. You always like to say something nice. And, and, and with this secretary, <laughs> okay, say something nice. That's good. With this secretary, this has been, been, been difficult. <laughs> he, the department was asked to get waivers on assessments. Right. You know, under, under every Student Succeeds Act, you have to, uh, we gave a lot of flexibility on how you do it, but you got to assess to ascertain whether or not there are achievement gaps, and then you have to have a credible plan to do something about it. Because of the pandemic, there are a lot of requests to get waivers on the assessment. Sure. She denied those waivers. <laughs> now, uh, if you did not deny the waiver, if you, if you allowed those waivers, and let people go without the assessments, then we would not know what the problem is. And so that, um, uh, you know, it's gonna be hard. You see, it's, it's a lot easier to assess when the students are right there. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but you gotta do the best you can. Sure. Without that information of where we are, how far behind we are, we wouldn't know how to begin to start. Yeah. So let me just start off by saying something nice <laughs> about uh, Betsy DeVos, that was the right decision. Yeah. And, right. In fact, and in fact, the, um, the the NAEP test was canceled for this year because they couldn't figure out how to do it. I saw that, yeah. And, yeah, so, yeah. and so we wouldn't have that information. All we have are the assessments that are going to be done, and so we'll at least have some information to how to deal with the achievement gaps, and that was the right decision. All right. Well, um, one thing's for sure. You're probably the first person on our show, uh, including us, that's that's ever ever had a compliment. So we'll we'll take it. Um, but but looking ahead, uh, entering a new Democratic administration with President-elect Biden, what are your priorities for legislation for our K-12 public school systems across the country once we move beyond obviously this period of crisis that we're in? Well, well, first of all, we have to refocus on the achievement gap. That's that's the number one. Uh, uh, priority. Uh, another thing is we have to deal with the uh, segregation of schools across the country. Uh, GAO report a couple of years ago found that the schools today are as segregated today as they were yeah. in the 1960s. Yeah. I mean, what's the, and getting worse. I mean, how is that possible? Yeah. And we found that integrated schools, integrated schools do much better for, for, for all of the students, the achievement gaps are much less. Uh, the the uh, academic achievement is, is much better. And, and so there is a compelling reason to try to integrate the schools. Uh, before you get to the social reasons um, and, and just basic civil rights, it's a better way to ed educate the students. And there are a lot of things that we can do. 
uh, two things the House uh, passed that um, the, the Senate hasn't taken up. One is to codify a program that uh, Obama uh, started right at the end of his uh, term, a little grant program to help um, uh, localities who want to voluntarily integrate their schools come up with a plan uh, that's, that's effective. Uh, we, 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 the, there's a little challenge there because in Seattle and uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, they had voluntary plans and the Supreme Court found they were unconstitutional. Wow. Uh, now you can do it, but you got to do it right. And so you need a little technical assistance and that costs a little money. So you can apply for this little uh, 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 grant program to get some technical assistance so you can fashion an effective uh, plan that can withstand a constitutional challenge. Uh, I said it was at the end of his um, uh, administration, um, several, um, uh, several localities applied for the money, but before, it came, before any money went out, the new administration came in and canceled the program. Jeez. Well, we want to codify that program and we passed legislation to do it, but the Senate hadn't taken it up. The other is the um, Equity Inclusion Enforcement Act, which would give essentially a, a, what's called a private right of action under Title VI. Right now, uh, because of Supreme Court decisions, if you're gonna complain about discrimination based on patterns and practices or disparate impact uh, in, in education, the Department of Education has to come forward and make the complaint. If they don't do anything, nothing gets done. Well, what's wrong with if you feel you've been discriminated against, what's wrong with you being able to uh, bring the case yourself? Um, the Equity and Inclusion Enforcement Act would allow the local civil rights groups, the local parent groups to come forward and challenge practices that have a discriminatory impact. Um, uh, it also sets up an assistant secretary uh, within the Department of Education and monitors like we have under Title IX uh, so that there will be somebody in the local education, uh, uh, in, in, in the local education, uh, it's local school system, whose job it is to make sure that nobody's discriminating. Yeah. Uh, that bill has, has passed the House and had been taken up by the Senate. We need to, uh, we need, we need to pass that. But there is one thing that we have been successful in doing, and that is to remove um, about a 40-year-old vestige of the pre-1954 days, and that is a provision in law that prevents the use of federal funds in transportation for the purpose of inter-school integration. That has been the law. You cannot use federal funds in transportation for the purpose of integrating your schools. Wow. That's been the law, and finally, uh, by virtue of the COVID relief bill, uh, we're able to get rid of that um, uh, of that provision, and so you can use federal funds if you need to um, get if you need to uh, spend a little money on transportation to integrate the schools, and some of it is federal money. You can do it. <laughs> Congratulations, Chairman Scott. That is that is a big deal. Yeah, that is a big awesome. deal. We have one more question here for you. Um, so on the most, our most recent episode, we were talking about some, some potential replacements for Secretary DeVos and some names that we had been hearing uh, bandied about. Uh, and one of the names uh, that came up was uh, Dr. Leslie Fenwick of Howard University. Um, so I did want to ask uh, about HBCUs. 
and specifically how they've been impacted during this pandemic. And then the second part is what kind of support do you plan on advocating for your com- your committee with the Biden-Harris administration? Well, they have a, a list of very highly qualified individuals. Uh, Dr. Pendwick is obviously one, and she's a very exciting possibility. Yes. We're looking forward to um, to hopefully... Uh, but she's just wondering. I'm not going to get into name naming. Uh, I, hey, listen, she, I, you can let one slip. Just, yeah, she, she, but she is highly, highly qualified. I emailed her, but she hasn't gotten back to me. I don't oh, know why. Uh, well, she's, she's very highly qualified, but it's important. Of uh, HBC is very important, and she's um, um, at Howard. And as an added um, uh, issue, she's married to the former president of Howard, which makes her part of the HBCU. Uh, community, uh, which is, I think, a, a big plus. Um, HBCUs have done a phenomenal job. If you look at where African-American teachers come from, uh, disproportionate number come from HBCUs, as well as scientists and other professionals, uh, a disproportionate number come from HBCUs. Uh, and and there's, there's um, uh, and so support of HBCUs has been extremely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the COVID relief bill has a provision of uh, debt relief. The pandemic has put a financial strain on um, uh, on historically black colleges and universities. And one of the provisions in there is a uh, relief from uh, repayment of some of the uh, loans that have been uh, made uh, that it, that will relieve them of significant pressure. Um, and, and we're very uh, delighted to see that provision as part of the package. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that interview that we did. I know it was a little bit of a flashback from our Ed's Not Dead interview from a few weeks ago. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you have any feedback, please go ahead and and hop onto our iTunes page or on our website, edsnotdead.com, and uh, give us some feedback about what you think of the show. And make sure you check out part two and three of The Way Out, uh, episode four of Pandemic Pass. Thank you so much, and uh, catch you later. Thank you for joining us on Pandemic Pass. Pandemic Pass is a pulp education production and was written and directed by me, Casey Siddons. Music was written and performed by Peter Craver. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us.